been to NBA Sound System. Carlin Gay alongside Kyle Irving and Micah Adams. And before we start and get into the show and go any further than this, I want to say congratulations to my man, Micah Let's Adams. Go. His team is on their way to the Super Bowl. It's been, a, it's been a long time coming, man. Yeah. Kansas City Chiefs. 50 years. I've not seen them play in one Super Bowl in my lifetime. So uh, pretty, pretty ecstatic. It's, it's an exciting time to be a fan of the Chiefs and the 49ers. So congratulations to those out there celebrating. And I wanted to give you those five seconds because it, the Bills went. We probably have 10 seconds on Bills. <laughs> you probably hear me going through a table. At I'm least. just excited. I hope Pat Mahomes uh, keeps playing like Steph Curry and the, the 2015 <laughs> Warriors out there. Yeah, we all do. Kyle, I, I mean, if to be honest with you, the Patriots made it. We wouldn't talk about it at all because you all make it every year. So. Yeah, there's nothing, that. I have nothing to say on the matter. Been there, done that, right? <laughs> yeah, let's get, let's get into basketball. Right? I would act like I've been there before, except I haven't, so. Completely understandable. Yeah, I, I, I totally get it. On this show, we will talk about Damian Lillard's 60-piece. We'll also talk about the Rockets. They're on a four-game slide. Or is there trouble down in Houston? Uh, Luka versus Kawhi this week. What does that mean for both those teams? Are we excited about Zion's return? We'll tell you just how excited we are. And uh, predictions on the eighth seed. We did a little bit of that this last week. We'll do some more this week. But let's start with the All-Star starters. That's going to be announced on Thursday this week on TNT. Um, We've all spoke about who we think should start the All-Star game. Has that changed for us? Uh, Especially given the fact that there's a lot of people producing at a high level, but their teams may not be winning at a high level Namely, we just saw Trey Young drop 42. Kyle, you actually saw it live. You were in Atlanta for the Raptors uh, taking on the Hawks. Trey Young goes off in a losing effort. But the All-Star game is all about rewarding guys, individual talents. So should Trey Young be a part of your start? Is he as part of your starting five in the East, first of all? Yeah, Trey Young's a part of my starting okay. five in the East. I know Why? a lot of people are going to have a problem with that because they've won 10 games. But everything. That <laughs> Hold on, said, say that again. How many games have they won? The, the Atlanta Hawks are ten and thirty-four. Yeah, it's not a great look for an All-Star starter. But he's one of two players that are averaging. I mean, he's one of two players that are in the top five in the league in scoring and assists. Him and his uh, his running mate there, Luka Doncic, who he's going to be paired with for the rest of his career. Uh, I'm happy for Trey Young that he ended up being as good as he is, because otherwise, that's a you know he's going to be hearing about that for the rest of his life. Um, Trey Young is an all-star starter. I know they've only won 10 games. I know they're one of the worst teams in the NBA. Right. But he's doing everything that he can to make that team successful. <laughs> and there's just not enough help. Is he doing everything around. he can? <laughs> I, I really think he say. is, though. Okay. All right. He's averaging almost nine assists a game, and he's averaging like 30 points per game. I don't know how you can't vote this guy into the all-star game. I mean, I understand, you know, there's a, a passageway for Kyle Lowry. There's a passageway for Ben Simmons, guys that are on winning teams, and I understand that. But kind of like you just said, the All Star Game—it's an individual—it's an individual award. It's an individual accomplishment, and I think that Trey Young should be a starter. Micah, do you think Trey Young's more deserving than those guys you just mentioned? I, as a starter, it's it's crazy because I feel like, I feel like a week ago, my answer was an emphatic no. Right, and I think it's just like we've just gotten to the point where like he just. My man just drops like 42 and 15, like it's effortless. Uh, they, I think he actually had a positive plus minus in that one game, but take it or leave it, that might mean nothing. You're talking but, about the game against the Raptors. Yeah, the game against right. the Raptors. And look, ultimately it's a game for the fans. And, you know, nobody in among all East, uh, Eastern Conference backcourt players received more fan votes than Trey Young. Um, yeah, his team is terrible. But, like, you, you look 
you look at the East and like I'm not I'm not sure who the other guy is. Like Kemba should be a starter without a doubt, but like Kyrie's missed so much time. The weird stuff going on in Philly, like maybe it's Simmons. Like has has Lowry done enough? Like I to me that the easiest one would have been like just make Jimmy Butler eligible at guard and he should start the All Star game, right? Because honestly, like there's four deserving front court starters in the East. And there's three spots. So, so, so this like changes we, the conversation a little bit for me. Should we do away with the positions since the NBA, I mean, is virtually positionless at this point? Should we just vote the five best players regardless of position going forward? I mean, I, I kind of, I, I don't know. I think yes, but at the same time, like, what, like, what are you going to do when all five starters are guards or all five are front court? And maybe, it, maybe the answer is it doesn't matter. Because like nobody really nobody cares who wins the game itself anyway, and and the fact that now it's not like five in the West versus five in the East. We're gonna we have captains anyway that pick who's starting on what team. Like I don't know. I I'm okay. Like how is Jimmy Butler more of a small forward than a shooting guard? Like I don't really I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think it you know the voting gets kind of tough because my knee jerk reaction to that question is you know, allow someone like Jimmy Butler to be voted in as either a guard or a forward. But I know that that kind of muddies up the voting and it, it makes it more difficult when you're, you know, going on a drop down menu and you can pick someone for yeah. both a guard spot and a forward spot. I understand like, you know, when the returns come out and he's in two different spots, it makes it complicated. So maybe you do just go positionless. I mean, I kind of like having the two guards and three forwards or a center or whatever, you know, whatever they got going on now um, where you can vote for a center or forward. It doesn't really matter. Um, I just think that, I mean, that's the way the basketball is played, even though it is going positionless. But I just think that it gives guards and forwards fair opportunity. Like someone like Trey Young, who's having a fantastic season to be voted in, where, like you just said, if it was, you know, positionless, he might not have that opportunity to be a starter. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't want to get go like too far down the rabbit hole because it takes away from talking about Trey Young. But I, I just think we, we have probably reached the point where it's just, it's too prolific to ignore. And like, yeah, like he has not played a lick of defense and he's a big pro. Like he is the reason 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, 1E, why Atlanta is the worst defensive team in the league. And they're not when he's, when he's off the floor, they're, they're completely fine. Yeah. They have some pieces. You know? like now, they, now they also don't do any, right. he's a great defender. They also don't do anything offensively when he's not on the floor right. either. Um, but like ultimately like. I don't know. I'm a defense matters guy, but offense means a lot more than defense. And it's the all-star game and the fans want to see him. And at the end of the day, like that, what, what are we really doing by penalizing Trey young? Because the Atlanta Hawks are 10 and 34. See, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not of the camp that you think he should start because I think if you allow Trey young to start in the all-star game, you diminish what winning means in the NBA, especially in the regular season. And, and, and this point in time when we're having so much discussions about how we should change the regular season's format because it doesn't matter anymore this is a part of that conversation and it adds to the fuel it adds fuel to the fire that the regular season just frankly doesn't matter over the 82 game stretch and I don't believe that so I, I think Kyle Lowry is more deserving I think Fred Van Vliet is more deserving I think Kemba Walker is more deserving I think Ben Simmons is more deserving I think Malcolm Brogdon is more deserving I'm naming guards who I think are more deserving because their team their teams are winning and and they're having they're having fantastic all-star caliber seasons don't think that Trey Young shouldn't be left off the all-star 
roster as a whole. I just don't think that he should have the right to say that he's been good enough this year to start. The, I think you need to have some incentive there because he's going to be this this player going forward. We now know that Trey Young is this guy. Like he's going to be a guy that's one of the most electrifying players in the NBA. But now you have to add that incentive for him to to continue to win and help his team get over the hump. And there is something to be said for that, right? Like making like we're not just going to hand out all-star games. Like right. I don't care how many 30 and 10 games or 42 and 15 games you have. Like until you at least start winning. Look, no one's saying like the Atlanta Hawks need to be like in the playoffs for him to make uh, to to make the all-star team, but they can't be dead last in the cellar either. So there is something to be said. And I think you're right about we incentivize winning with individual accomplishments and like, Hey, you know what? Like maybe getting snubbed from the all-star game uh, is what Trey young needs to light a fire in playing the game in a way that leads to more winning. Uh, it could end up being one of those things that, like, it's the best thing for him because he's not, he now knows, hey, I'm not going to get the recognition that I deserve and I need and that I'm good enough to get until I start trying on defense, until I elevate my team, until I make other, someone else better. So I don't know. I see both sides, but I, it's splitting hairs. I, th- I think the, just to clarify what I was saying earlier, I think winning does matter when it comes to the All Star game, but I guess, Carlin, to counter your point, I don't believe that any of the players that you just mentioned after Trey Young's name, besides Kemba Walker, who I think should be a starter, I don't think, even though their teams are winning, I don't think any of those players are individually impacting that so much to the point that they should start over Trey Young. Fair. I think that, you know, Kyle Lowry has been great and Fred Van Vliet's been great. Uh, you know, Malcolm Brogdon has been awesome. Ben Simmons has turned it on, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. Ben Simmons has turned it on a lot the past couple of weeks with him beat out of the lineup. And I think if he had been doing that all season, then he would be a lock for that second spot in the All-Star game. I just don't know if any of those players that we just mentioned are playing so much better than Trey Young with their team winning that they deserve the spot over him. Fair. I, I just don't think I can give Trey Young the nod given the fact that he's not having historic – great all-time season like he's putting up great numbers on a nightly basis and he's extremely excited and I do want to see him in the all-star game I just don't think that he deserves to be a starter and that's my opinion in that you know we'll, we'll, we'll split hairs on that I mean they're giving up 118 points a game and he's the biggest reason for that in fairness no one cares about defense in the all-star game it's fair <laughs> <laughs> you know, defense I, don't is a, not, I don't have a rebuttal ask, for that ask Rudy Gobert defense ain't getting you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Getting you to the All-Star game. All right, let's move on, and uh, let's actually stick with the All-Star conversation and move to Ben Simmons before we go any further. Ben Simmons is playing All-Star caliber basketball, but like Kyle just said, it hasn't been happening all season long. Uh, ben Simmons has been rolling without Joel Embiid. The Sixers have a whole, as a whole have been rolling without Joel Embiid, haven't missed a beat, uh, and the 76ers are actually, uh, you know, sorry, Ben Simmons is actually coming off player of the week honors in the Eastern Conference from the the week that he's had last week. They went 3-1 a week ago. They won on MLK, um, MLK Day in Brooklyn. Ben Simmons ties his career high with 34 points, a triple-double, 12 rebounds, uh, 12 assists, and five steals. He now leads the NBA in steals. Ben Simmons does at 2.2 per game. Uh, at the time of recording this, that could change by the time you listen to it. But, um, what have you seen different with Ben Simmons over the last couple of games, and why are the Sixers seemingly better without Joel Embiid right now? I mean, he's just far more aggressive, right? Like that's the the easy answer is it, like, yeah, he's scoring more and he's more involved, but he's just like he, he attempted fourteen free throws um, the other night, but 
you know, that came that came two days after or not two days, two games after a day in which he didn't attempt a single free throw. Right. And Joel Embiid didn't play in that game either. So it's like I, I am not I am he was amazing, right? And in, in, in that game over in that win over the Nets. And look, they've won four straight, and they're on a little bit of a roll. But it's not like Ben Simmons has been this guy this entire time that Joel Embiid's been out. Mm-hmm. I got to see it for far more than one or two games in a row before I'm willing and ready to say that like some light bulb has all of a sudden gone off for Ben Simmons because he's done this before, right? right. Like the, one of the biggest knocks on on him has been like he only gets it going whenever Joel's not out there. Mm-hmm. Like this is nothing new, right? So. I'm not. I'm not so sure that what we've seen lately from him is any real indication that something profound has changed or is different beyond what we already knew. Before you answer, Kyle, I want to ask Micah this question. He does get it going without Joel Embiid in the lineup, but isn't that his role on this team? Is he's not the guy? We can say that Joel Embiid is the best player on the team. Joel Embiid is the leader of the team. Joel, the Sixers will go as far as Joel Embiid can take them. So are, is that a, is that is it a knock that Ben Simmons isn't as aggressive when Joel Embiid? So I, I think that and that's that is maybe the the potentially dangerous assumption. Like I think that a lot of people have the assumption that Philly will go as far as Joel Embiid takes them. Okay. What if that? What if it should be the Sixers will go as far as Ben Simmons takes them? Interesting. Like I I don't I don't know the answer to that. So th- this year uh, the Sixers are eight and six in games without Joel Embiid. Simmons has played in all 14 of those, averaging about, uh, he's the team's leading scorer. Uh, he is only third on the team in those games in field goal attempts. However, he is first in free throw attempts by a mile. Mm-hmm. That's a complete uh, mentality. Uh, that's a whole mentality thing, right? Where he's averaging about two more free throws a game uh, whenever Embiid's not out there. I don't know. Like I, I look at Philly sometimes play without Embiid, and you watch the degree to which Simmons is engaged and flying everywhere. And I sometimes ask myself, like as amazing as Joel Embiid is like, wouldn't you rather have that version of Ben Simmons than the version of Joel Embiid with a 60% as good Ben set? Like, I don't know, but maybe that's a question that Philly needs to ask itself. I think part of the issue in Philly is just that their two biggest superstars just, I mean, they choose when they do and don't want to play. There are some nights that Ben Simmons goes out there and you know, he's, too cool to break a sweat and it looks like he's trying to put up you know whatever numbers he can looking as cool as possible without mm-hmm. really giving it 110 percent effort and then there's the ben simmons that we've seen these past couple games where i think personally his demeanor has completely changed his he looks like he's the leader of that team he's you know taking over on offense he's doing all these things his field goal attempts are up his field goal percentage up percentages up his points per game are up he's rebounding better because he's looking across the defensive glass and get it uh, get things going in transition he's getting going downhill and that's we all know that's when ben simmons is at his best um his assist per game averages down in the slightest but i think that's something that philly will live with not just when joel Embiid's out of the lineup i think in general philly will live with ben simmons averaging you know one less assist per game if that means he's going to be more aggressive and attack the rim and you know play like the player that we've been seeing um but to micah's point i agree in the sense that we've seen him do this before this is nothing new. We've seen Ben Simmons step up when Joel Embiid is out of the lineup and turn into this guy. And then when Embiid comes back into the lineup, all of a sudden he's back to the player that we saw at the start of this season. So for me, it's impressive that he's helping this team you know, stay afloat and win games while their best player is out of the lineup. 
But at the same time, it's like, we need to see you do this and keep this same energy when Joel Embiid gets back. I find it interesting uh, that the Sixers are playing a completely different style of basketball without Joel Embiid in the lineup than I expected them to play. Uh, The last time Joel Embiid was out of the lineup for any extended period of time that everyone remembers was a couple of years ago, you know, 2017-18 season. Sixers go on a 16-game winning streak to get into the playoffs. They were as hot as could be. Uh, Joel Embiid, I think, had the the broken orbital bone. He was out. He had to wear the mask when he came back. They had the first-round series against the Miami Heat that year. The last month of the season, they looked like they were going to win the championship without Joel Embiid in the lineup. That Marco Bellinelli was on the team. Uh, Ersan Silva was on the team. They had an offensive rating in that month of April of 116.5. They were averaging 20, 120 points per game. They were playing at the third fastest pace, I think, in the league. Right now, without Joel Embiid, they are playing at a super slow pace and doing it defensively. They have a second-best defensive rating in the NBA without in the games that they've played without Joel Embiid, the seven games, the last seven games that they've played without Joel Embiid, and uh, a pace under 100. They're so, slowing it so down. So one of the wild things, too, um, that we've seen a little bit of this over the last couple of games is, like, you've even seen, and we've seen it before, but you've seen Ben Simmons even play a little bit of five. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's that's a look that with with guys like Richardson and Thibel and, like, the, the amount of just length that that team has is insane and when Simmons is out there essentially playing center because Joel Embiid's not there you just they they look completely unlike any other team in the league that I'm not I'm not sure how you match up with them they have you have Joel Embiid as a guy that I think a couple of us picked for defensive player of the year at the beginning of the season and when he leaves they're still a really good defensive team and I think that's why a lot of us thought that the Sixers would be in the conversation in the finals because they can lock down defensively better than, let's say it, anyone else in the league. I know that the Bucks have the best offensive rating, but pound for pound, I think, and you could even throw the Clippers in there. I know Kawhi and, and, and Paul George and uh, you know uh, Pat Bev, when they are on the floor together, that's going to be a tough team to score against. But the Sixers are right there with them, if not better, in my opinion. So there, there's one thing to be said about Embiid that I, that I think is different than Simmons. So... I I should, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, like, we've seen this before in the sense that, like, we've seen individually great games. Uh, we have not seen a sustained scoring stretch like this ever. Uh, five straight 20-point games, that's the longest streak of his career. Right, averaging, for, for Ben Simmons. Yeah, he's averaging 24, 10, and 8 and shooting 65% during that, which is, th- that's just outrageous. He's also averaging 40 minutes a game. And that, that to me, is, you know, when I asked that question about, like, why are we framing the Sixers around uh, making this assumption that it's Embiid's team. Mm. They could never play Embiid 40 minutes a game over a five-game right, stretch. Right. Simmons is showing right now the type of workload that he could give you in a playoff series, an extended run, that you make him all about him. The one counter to this whole Simmons-Embiid argument is like, when Joel Embiid is going and he's doing his thing on the block, there's just no answer. There's nothing you can do. You can't game plan to all of a sudden have your dudes be three inches taller and 40 pounds heavier. You can't do that. Against Ben Simmons in a playoff series, You could. E- it's not that hard to imagine a team saying, okay, we know what Simmons can't do. Right. We're just going to make him do the one thing he can't do. And that's the biggest difference between him and Embiid there. So does that turn this conversation into Simmons should be the best regular season player 
on the team and Embiid should take over in the playoffs. Like, like Simmons should be the leadoff hitter and Embiid should be the cleanup guy when it matters. I just don't even think it should have to be like that. They're the two best players on the floor. I mean, when can we think of another example of when we've talked about, you know, a championship contender in a sense of like, okay, this guy should play well in the regular season and this guy should play well in the playoffs? Like, I don't think, they, I don't think we, we, th- we talked about it in that way, but I think that Kobe and Shaq sort of had that relationship where in the playoffs – you were getting a download of the big fella, but you, he, you understood that in eighty two game in an eighty two game season, he was going to take some nights off. He would give you the sixty point outburst on his birthday, but against the random game where he's playing the Vancouver Grizzlies at the time, he's probably not going all out. Whereas Kobe was the guy that was going to try to make sure that you knew he was the best player on the floor no matter the circumstance i do understand that sense where you know someone like Shaq or someone like Embiid that you can't really play them 40 minutes a game in the regular you know in game 43 of the regular season um you know when you're taking a possession by possession in the playoffs and it's more important to feed them on each given possession because each possession means more i understand that aspect of it but at the same time it's like it shouldn't really be a pick or choose like these guys should be able to find they've been playing together their whole careers now they should be able to find a way to both get it going at the exact same time whether it's a regular season in a big game or it's the playoffs i just don't think that can we really take a cha- a team like the 76ers seriously as a championship contender if we have to pick and choose when their stars are going to step up and play yeah. Right. And, and, and a lot of that, and Carl, and you've killed him before on this, but I mean, the, uh, so much of this goes to Brett Brown. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, Ben Simmons is not a rookie anymore. Mm-hmm. Joel Embiid's, like, these, these kids, like, they're young, but they're not new. They're not fresh, right? And Kyle, like, you, you've said, I mean, these guys have played, you know, probably 150, 200 games together at this point. There should not be still this many questions about the ability to coexist and co thrive. And if there are, Maybe it's coaching. Maybe there needs to be a decision made there uh, before you really do anything extreme. And maybe you don't need to do anything extreme. Like we're making, you know, I, I was looking this morning, 538 still projects uh, the Sixers, despite all of this, they still think they have them finishing second in the East. <laughs> so Which, for all this to wow. go wrong yeah. and then at the same, like, is it really going wrong? Like, I, yeah. I don't know. The one thing that I could, before we move on to that conversation about second in the East, the one thing I can say about the Sixers, since Embiid has been out, they're only averaging, and I say only, 11.7 turnovers per game. That's third in the NBA in that time. That's them taking care of the basketball, something they notoriously do not do when they have the full you know, roster available to them. They just pitch that ball around the court like they don't even care about it. Right now they're taking care of it. It's turning into wins. They're locking down defensively, and they're playing slower. So maybe that's the answer. Maybe they need to slow things down. They had a five-minute stretch in the fourth quarter, uh, and they went against the Nets. Where like, like Brooklyn couldn't even make three consecutive passes hmm. around the outside because Philly was just everywhere. Five and they're minutes. so fast. They're like – yeah. They're like the San Francisco 49ers of the NBA. <laughs> You'll see in two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and Matias Thibel, by the way, I mean, what a draft pick. That is, that is for what they do, that's a steal. Thanks. You Boston, you're yeah. kicking yeah. yourself yeah. a little bit yeah. there, yeah. huh? Thank you. Yeah, we got Carson Edwards instead. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's something. <laughs> he's something. I uh, will, before, before we uh, – <laughs> a lot of people were jumping on the whole, like, Markel Fultz thing last week. Oh, I can't believe, you know, Philly gave up Markel Fultz. They ended up getting the draft pick that got them Matisse Tybel in sure. that trade. So as awesome as Markel Fultz has been in Orlando – 
Philly can't really hang their head over that one because they ended up with a pretty good player themselves. Yeah, they they they'll forget about Mark Fultz if this team turns into a championship winning team, and that's uh, ways away. Uh, second place in the Eastern Conference right now is being held down by the surprising Miami Heat, but there was a battle underneath them. Uh, you know, the Raptors, Celtics, the Sixers, who we just talked about. The, the Pacers, who will get Victor Oladipo in a couple of weeks, less than, back into the lineup. Uh, who ends up, in your opinion, at second spot? We know we had this conversation briefly last week. Um, has your mind changed, Micah? No, it's still Miami to okay. me. Uh, I actually think that um, Toronto is the more complete team, and with everyone coming back and they're finally going to be healthy, I think there's probably no team more positioned to... Uh, make a bigger run coming up here than Toronto, but I still I still go with Miami for two reasons. One is they have by far the easiest remaining schedule of right. these teams here, uh, vying for it. Uh, when you know when you account for home and road and days rest and all that fun stuff. Um, and then I also just think like this isn't the team like they have moves to make. We've been saying it the whole year. There's not a team in the entire league more well positioned to make a drastic move to upgrade their roster to upgrade their talent than Miami. So, you know, when you couple that with the schedule, I I still have the heat rolling to the the two. I'm with Micah. I think the Miami Heat are the team uh, that are going to hold down second spot in the Eastern Conference. And shout out to my guy, Scott Rafferty, because I know he's going to love this. Their division is just too easy. (laughs) No, it really is. I mean, right now they are 5-2 and in the division. They play the Hornets. They still haven't played the Hornets a ton. They still have to play the Wizards. And the abominable Atlanta Hawks are going to give up wins as well. I just think that the Eastern Conference Atlantic Division, where the Raptors, Celtics, Sixers, who right now are 3, 4, and 5 in the Eastern Conference, are going to beat each other up. And it will just allow Miami to continue to expand that gap. They really only have to worry about the Atlanta Magic, and that's not much of a worry. Are you concerned that they uh, have some road struggles? 19 and 1 at home, 11 and 2 away. From if you're Miami. that good at home, it's okay. Like, if you're only going to lose one game at home, it's okay. And that one game at home came against uh, the best team in the Western Conference. So they're doing fine. Go ahead, Kyle. I think as much as I want to just keep riding with the Celtics, because I really do think that they have what it takes to be the second best team in the East, uh, there's just been too much, too many issues. Depth is a problem right now. The guys off the bench aren't producing, and their defense isn't looking as good as it once did at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually am gonna, I'm gonna go with the Heat. Wait a minute, you watched them last night against the LA Lakers. They, MLK clobber, they clobbered and LeBron and the Lakers. And you're still gonna walk in here, clamp them down, walk well, against your boys. Listen, they that was a great win last <laughs> night, and they needed that win last night. But and that's something that I, I wanted to get to. I just don't know how much you can really take away from that game. Like they look great. Don't get me wrong. They looked like the offense was finally clicking, and you know Tatum had it going, Kemba had it going. Guys were it looked like defensively they started to figure it out a little bit, but at the same time, I just I'm not sure how much you can take away from a 30 point victory over the Lakers, where they you know they kind of just were going through the motions after they were getting pummeled and they just rolled over. Um, I think the Heat right now. I just even though last week I was on here, I was saying how I'm not sure if Kendrick Nunn can keep it up, if you know Tyler Harrell can keep it up, Duncan Robinson can keep it up. Kendrick Nunn's been pretty damn good and. I think, like Micah just said, they have all these trade pieces where it just seems like they're it's inevitable they're going to make a move. And, I mean, even like, you know, last night in that overtime win over the Kings, they rolled out James Johnson and he gave out like, what, 22, I think he had 22 points, eight rebounds and a solid overtime win. It's like 
Jimmy Butler was out of the lineup. They throw this guy in the lineup. Now, all of a sudden, if they do that a couple more times, he gives them a couple a couple good performances. Teams could start looking at someone like him as a, you know, maybe we can add him to our bench and it gives us some physicality, gives us mm. something like this, something like that. And they already have that. And Justice Winslow is a player that people would want. I just think they have players that can make a move to make them better. And if they're already second in the East, I, I don't know if they're going to give that up. Kendrick, Kendrick Dunn's a rookie, right? Yeah, undrafted rookie. If he was drafted in the top five, let's say, with the season that he's having right now, wouldn't we be talking about this guy like he's in the conversation for Rookie of the Year? And I know John Morant's been incredible. He's electric, and he's likely the front runner. But I mean, he'd be right where he is now, right? Yeah, second. I think is I, he second? Yeah, he's, he's probably second, second or third. Yeah, right? second. It's a very quiet second, though. I mean, I mean, Jaw's been, but that says more about Jaw than I think right. it does about yeah, that's fair. about Nunn, right? I just feel like if Nunn wasn't an undrafted rookie. Maybe the conversation's a little bit different around that. I, I agree with you there. I think that like the fact that he went undrafted and that people didn't really know about know about him and he went off in summer league and then he went off in the preseason, everyone's like, Oh, well, like this guy's gonna fall off, he's gonna fall off. And I even said it last week on you know, on this same podcast that I just didn't really trust him to keep it going. And I mean, he's been their best player the past three, four games in a row now. I yeah. mean he's he's it doesn't seem like this is a, any sort of a fluke. He's, he's gonna, also twenty four. Yeah, like he's a he's yeah. a solid year. He's a year and a half older than Jalen Brown. Yeah, which is, <laughs> wow, I mean, crazy to think about. Yeah, right? That's, right, that's nuts. Uh, they're gonna have to pay him. <laughs> he's he, he's getting paid. Um, speaking of trades uh, and trade rumors, Derrick Rose has jumped up in the rumor mill. Uh, so Detroit had now have two players that are contributing at a high level, and Andre Drummond and Derrick Rose that are in trade rumors at the moment. Lakers and Sixers are two rumored destinations for the uh, Derrick Rose. Um, Derrick Rose over the last couple of games has been balling. Like he's now at nine games and counting where he's hit at least 20 points. That's the third longest streak, ties the third long streak in his career. That includes, you know, all the MVP seasons, which was surprising to me. Uh, His longest 20-point game streak. It's 12 games. That ran over a playoff series. So uh, it started in April of 2010, ended October 30th, 2010. Um, Micah, you wrote earlier this year about how Derrick Rose is producing on a permanent basis like his 2011 MVP campaign way back in December. And he's gotten better since then. Over the last nine games, he's averaging close to 24 points, six assists, shooting over 55% from the field. I mean, the, the February 6th deadline is you know, moments away. Is Derrick Rose a guy that could really tip the balance of power in I the do. NBA? Yeah, I think, I think he's, a, he's a significant piece. Um, and I, I think of the two teams attached to him more, I think he would be more important in Philly uh, than in Los Angeles. To me, the Lakers are a team that they, they just need a little bit more shooting, I think. And the ball's going to be in LeBron Tan's 41 minutes a game in the playoffs right. anyway. Whereas Philly strikes me as a team that they could really use somebody that for 25 minutes a game can steer the offense. And, and you know, he's he's played off guys before as well, Rose has. I mean, he's uh, for, for a while there in, in Chicago was co-thriving next to Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, so he's, he's somebody that I think that would really help Philly. I, I believe the Sixers still rank uh, – at or near the bottom five in isolation scoring and isolation efficiency. Mm-hmm. Derrick Rose instantly comes in as, as a guy that can go get buckets whenever he needs, whenever he wants, he gets to his spots. I, I've, he's my runaway winner right now for six man of the year. 
And I, th- I think Derrick Rose is a significant piece. And in Philly, like we didn't talk about this earlier talking about the Sixers, but they're a, to me, a, I got to see it in the playoffs. I got to see Ben Simmons in the final five minutes of a close game with a locked in defense. I just have to see him do it before I'll ever be ready uh, to say that Philly can win a title. If they go get Derrick Rose, maybe we don't have to see Ben Simmons become mm-hmm. that guy because maybe Rose is the answer. Right right now, Philly's bench, third worst scoring bench in the entire NBA. Derrick Rose has the Detroit Pistons as the third best scoring bench in the NBA, only behind the Clippers and Washington Wizards, Kyle. Furkan Korkmaz is doing everything he can to keep that bench scoring total up, man. Um, no, I, I He's trying agree. to save his job. Derrick Rose on the way. He started <laughs> yeah. balling yesterday. I, uh, I agree, Mike. Derrick Rose has been awesome. He's been so much fun this year, and I think he's – you know, I think he's just a name that people latch onto, and he's a fan favorite in a sense on the court, at least. Um, and I just think that him going to a contender is—I think it's the best for the NBA. I think it's going to be good for the league. People, you know, like Derrick Rose. People follow Derrick Rose ever since that 2011 season, and uh, even just the story of all these injuries coming back and producing. Now, I think that whether he ends up in Los Angeles or Philly, I'm not really sure it matters where yet where he ends up, as long as it's with a contender. And it's going to be good for the league because he's going to continue to produce and he's going to be playing big minutes in the playoffs. And he's going to, there's going to be a moment where he hits a massive shot or he has you know a run where he rattles off eight straight points and swings a, a playoff game or something like that. And people are going to be talking about it and people are going to be excited about it. And I'm going to be excited about it because I love watching Derek. So his, his MVP year, 2010-11, where would you guys at the time maybe rank him among the NBA's best roll, players. I'm, a, I'm on a roll right. Oh, okay, this is different. I thought I thought you were going to ask uh, uh, cuz I was killing it last week with the with the with the guessing where things were. No, no, we're not no, we're not guessing. I I just like he was not the best player in the league when he won the no, MVP. Uh, well, but LeBron where, was. where was he? LeBron was I, he was definitely at, like I would say five? top 5, yeah. 3 to 5? Yeah, I feel comfortable saying top 5. What he was doing was incredible. Like he was just on a nightly basis. Like he was Russell Westbrook before Russell Westbrook, except right. he was doing it more efficiently. He, I, I think there was knocks though at the time where people were like he wasn't playing. He wasn't playing defense like at, at a high level to to ever be in the conversation to be the best player. So I'd say top five. Okay, so if you could add a top five player in the league for twenty five minutes a game, mm-hmm. that's a no brainer, right? Mm-hmm. Because right now, right this season versus the MVP season. 25.4 points per 36 compared to 24.1. That's up. Assists, 8.0 to 7.4. That's up. Steals, 1.2 to 1.0. That's up. Field goal percentage, 50% versus 44%. That's up. He's hitting the same number of threes. That's insane. The, basically, the only thing he's not doing is getting to the line as much, right? which is to be expected. Other than that, Per minute, he's he's literally better than when he won the MVP award. So That's, like, I I don't think it's that crazy of a hyperbole, uh, hyperbolic statement to say if you trade for Derrick Rose, twenty five minutes a night, you are getting MVP Derrick Rose. I'm you scr- just are. Yeah. Like, that's how good he's been. I'm scratching my head to think when was the last time a player of Derrick Rose's caliber was available that was still good and was willing to come off someone's bench to just improve their team i can't remember i can't remember in nba history yeah this might be he might be the best bench player available at the trade deadline in nba history i don't think that's a i don't think that's a 
crazy thing to say yeah, without yeah. going year by year. I yeah. off the top of my head, I, I can't don't. remember. Like for, for former MVPs, we can easily think about that because there's not a lot of former MVPs that are coming off people's benches over NBA history. And to be playing as well as you were eight years later after winning the MVP, after what he went through, his body went through. It's it's pretty impressive, and uh, the Detroit Pistons have a real huge trade chip in their hand to play he's with. He's only 31, too. Yeah. Let's and not act like Derrick Rose is like 36. I mean, I, he's in. an old 31, but, right. you know, he's still only 31. And he's locked in uh, for for this year next, uh, signing that two-year deal, two years, $50 million, $51.5 million uh, with the Detroit Pistons, which right now looks like an absolute bargain yeah. of a contract. Um, one thing that's not a bargain of a contract, this is just hot off the presses, because Chris Paul came out while we, while we've been recording saying that, he is okay to stay in OKC. He is not looking to be moved from the Thunder. Um, quote, no chance of waiving the final year of his deal to join a title contender. So he's not looking to bolt out of OKC at the moment. So when I think about that, when I read that, it makes me in the moment think that OKC, who at the beginning of the year I thought would be selling Chris Paul, has now changed the other way around and become maybe buyers to build around a Chris Paul and the young guys that they have. What did it say you about that? Yeah, I would do it in a heartbeat. But why not? What? Okay. I, what's, what's the what's the trepidation in terms of building around Chris Paul for the? We're well, not building around Chris Paul. Well, who are you building? But you are keeping him around for the next three years to aid in the transition of SGA becoming. What I think everyone sees pretty clear now is that like that guy's going to be a perennial all star, right? You know, maybe maybe as early as next season, probably the one after. But um, you know, if this is the version that OKC gets, and that's a big if. Like health is, maybe he missed over fifty games his two years in Houston, and uh, you know he's been as healthy as as ever. So is that sustainable? I don't know. But I mean, the, the OKC team. Uh, that just knocked off Houston the other night in a game that Harden and Westbrook, you know, they they played fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Harden didn't play very well, but Westbrook played great. I don't know. I think with OKC, it's like you're not going to have any issue with this at all, right? If you're just going to live in this, and now you know, holding on to Chris Paul doesn't make them a title contender all of a sudden or anything like that. But it's just that you know that you have all those draft picks in the future and you know that you have young pieces that you're excited about, especially SGA in particular, uh, Shea Gildas Alexander in particular. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a consistent, whatever it's going to be, six through eight seed for these three years until they you know, develop some of these draft picks that they got in that Paul George trade. I think that in the Russell Westbrook trade, I think that being in the playoffs and being consistently good and keeping the fans engaged, like that's important. It's not, I mean, obviously it's about winning a championship, but if you can hold on to a player of Chris Paul's caliber, who's going to help develop your future franchise player, I think that that's, I think that's something that they should be interested in because they have enough draft picks to make a difference down the road to be good in the future anyways. And and there's something to be said for trying to win and trying to stay competitive. Mm -hmm. And the message that that sends to other players, to other teams, like they when they traded for Paul George, Paul George was saying, "There's no way I'll resign. I'm going to go to L.A." Sam Presti did it anyway, and he signed Stephen Adams to a wealthy extension, and he paid Russell Westbrook. And like because of the goodwill that sort of Sam Presti built up, 
and creating a culture where we are always going to try to win. Paul George re-signed there, mm-hmm. right? Now, that's already over, obviously. But if over the next three years they don't tank and they say, we want to win, we want to put a winning team, who knows when Steven Adams, uh, his contract comes off the books or Chris Paul's contract comes off the books. Maybe there's a guy out there that looks at the situation in Oklahoma City says, hey, I want to play with SGA. I want to go to a team that values winning. We live in a world where you can get paid. You can be marketable no matter what city you're in. So I don't know. Like Maybe this is the moment that three years down the line pays dividends when OKC nabs a huge fish to pair with SGA and a guy that they would not have gotten had they just sold off everyone and played for draft picks. Right, exactly. I think this is obviously not the exact same situation, and obviously there's different variables involved in this, but I think that you can look at the Brooklyn Nets as an example of this in a sense where obviously the Knicks have their issues and that plays a part in it too. But when it came down to it, the Nets were looking to win, and they ended up putting a winning team on the court that made the playoffs, and I'm not saying that that directly made the decision for Kyrie and KD to go there and play in Brooklyn. And I understand going to Brooklyn and playing, still playing in New York is a lot different than saying, I'm going to go to Oklahoma City. But the fact that they already had a team in place that had winning pieces made them a lot more desirable than going to the Knicks. And I think that if the Thunder can continue to win games, like you just said, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander continues to improve, and let's say you know, some of these 2020 or 2021 draft picks develop into intriguing players that, you know, a big name superstar, if they're looking at Shea Gilgis-Alexander and player X that they drafted early in the in the first round of 2020 or 2021, they could be like, all right, well, if this team's already winning and I could be this one missing piece away, maybe going to Oklahoma City is not as bad as it sounds. Chris Paul has 44.2 million owed to him in the final year of his contract. Obviously, he wasn't going to opt out of that. Like, I mean, he would have been a fool to do that. And that's kind of what uh, it would be holding teams up from trading for him at this moment. Shout out to Sam Presti because he always seems to find a way to get his teams to be competitive when we think that there's no chance that it would happen. Like, do traded away James Harden. They were fine. Do traded – I mean, he lost Kevin Durant. They were fine. Russell Westbrook, he's now traded away. They're still fine. He, he acquired Paul George. Everyone thought he was crazy. He decided – you know, George decided to sign with him. He now has Chris Paul – Everyone and their mother was like, trade him this summer. Trade him, trade him, trade him. And it seems to be that they're going to be okay. You know, they're they're going to they're, they're be better than okay. Yeah. They, they, they sent a message against Houston the other night. Like, even yeah. if they get they stay in the seventh seed, this is this team is not going to be a walkover. No, they're not. Especially, you know, depending on who that who that two ends up being. Like, would you trust – like, say it's Denver. Would you trust Jamal Murray going head-to-head against Chris Paul and SGA and even Schroeder's – like Schroeder's the guy that came up with the two biggest defensive plays of the game against Harden. Balling right now. He's right? awesome. He's, so he's like, awesome. I don't know, man. Those three guards, Gallo can bomb. Steven Adams has been there, done that. Like you, you have even asked the question: Should they be buyers? Could they go use Robertson to get like a Robert Covington type of team? Mm-hmm. Like right. this is a team that not a lot of they don't have the talent to hang with like a Lakers or a Clippers, but like Denver, Houston, Utah. This team could play spoiler in a big way. Would it be crazy if they went out and get got Kevin Love? Like, where does that put them? Because the, the money they it would take to make it happen is tough. Is, it makes it almost impossible. But that they could make that type of splash because they have draft picks till you know yeah, will sure. be old and gray. Like they they have they have draft picks where guys are right now in grade six that are going to be used. No, it's true. You know, in in that draft, so. 
they have the ability to make a big splash like they did over the summer to, to, to create that blockbuster deal. So Sam Presti has a lot of cards in his deck uh, that he could play with. Uh, all right, let's go rapid fire before we run out of time here. A couple of topics here around the NBA. Damian Lillard dropped 60 on MLK Day. 61. Am I 61 right? 61. Career 61 career high in overtime. Uh, and they needed all 61 to get past the uh, great Golden State Warrior Poor bench. Guy, man. I feel bad for Damian Lillard. His numbers this year are incredible. <laughs> and that team is just yeah, they're not bad. good. Yeah, they're bad. They're not good. Trade Damian Lillard to OKC. Okay, why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? Get a four-guard lineup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So everything works there over there. Uh, who else in the NBA are you rushing to your TV screen to watch? I mean, Lillard is one of those guys when you get the text messages like, all right, Dame's got 20 in the first quarter. You know you better open up League Pass and go and check it out because he's probably going to get – over 40, somewhere close to 50. Uh, who else in the NBA is that guy? To me, to me the two are uh, guys that play for the team that he did it against. I can't wait for Steph to come back. I think Steph, think Curry, coming, back? Steph Curry coming back you think is, he's coming is back? The, the least talked about uh, story in the NBA right now. And, and, when, and whenever he does, whether it's April or October of next year, right. I, nobody is more excited to me when he's got it going than Clay Thompson. Yeah, I, True. I love Clay Thompson, too. I think he's one of the first names that I put down on this list. Uh, Steph Curry as well. Uh, I think KD is like that. When he was getting buckets in the in the playoffs and whatnot, it's just like you just go out there and watch him, whether it's mid-range pull-ups, crossover. Everything he does just looks so smooth. Um, I think LeBron's one of those guys. I think that Kyrie is one of those guys where if you yeah. hear he has 40 after three quarters, you want to go see what type of wizardry he's pulling off in the fourth quarter. You want to see how many teammates uh, he's looking off? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Just pounding the ball into the ground and, you know, hitting a turnaround jumper. Right. Um, aside from that, I actually, the last player that I had on this list is Melo. <laughs> If Melo has, if Mello has yeah. like 50 like after now? three. Yeah, like now. Yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's another Mello feeling himself. But no, he's, he's, I mean, he, he's been one of those players for me that if he's got it going, I'm going to try and locate a TV and see yeah. what Melo's doing. He's obviously still one of those guys now. If you hear Melo has 50, I think everyone in the world is rushing Sh- to a TV. Shouts but. to Zach Levine here too. Okay. Zach Levine can get it going because he, when he gets it going, he knows that he's got it going yeah. and he thinks that he's – He's the best. Yeah, player Like in the he world. thinks he's the best player in the world when he gets it going a little bit. He he's a fun guy to yeah, watch. Yeah, he does have some like irrational swagger once he gets yeah. it going, and all of a sudden Zach Levine can turn forty into sixty. And I, ch- I chuckled over the weekend because I saw a lot of campaigning from Bulls PR, and I mean this is their guy. This is what they should do. This is what they get paid to do for Zach Levine to be in the All Star game. Nah, uh, I don't know about that one, buddy. Uh, surprisingly, you guys said James Harden. I, I don't know. It's the same. We've just we've seen it over and over again. But that's what we it's, talked about a couple months ago. Is that the, the, yeah. just, he just does things and we were just like, eh. More disrespect. Right. Oh, James Harden has 70. Big deal. Right. Let's no, move on. I, th- I think that's part of it too. And I think Giannis is like kind of in the same boat now, right? It's just like if Giannis were to have like 50, I mean, I, sure, it's exciting. But do I really just want to watch Giannis just like extend your <laughs> arm dunk over everybody <laughs> for had, like 60 points? That's I don't not know. fun. It's like, he had 32, fun, 17, and 7 in a game last week. I. I literally did not blink. I was yeah. just like, all right, cool. Mm-hmm. Kept scrolling. Like, that's absurd. I get more excited over Derrick Rose dropping like 27 yeah. than I do Giannis <laughs> dropping 32 and 17. <laughs> yeah. That's 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 crazy. Uh, speaking of Harden, the Rockets have now lost four straight. Uh, as you said, they you know Russell Westbrook played terrific against his former team. The Oklahoma City Thunder did not matter. They beat them. They're now f- losers of their last four are Houston. Is there problems with the Rockets? And if so, how do we fix them? 
the Rockets are playing their worst basketball of the season right now, and Russell Westbrook is playing his best basketball of the season right now. And that, <laughs> that says about everything you need to know about that. Uh. That worries me. That worries me because I'm I'm a Westbrook guy, and he's he really is. He's playing over the last ten or so games. Westbrook has been incredible. Like mm-hmm. he's been efficient. He's over the past couple of games, he's basically stopped shooting three pointers, which mm-hmm. is definitely something to monitor moving forward. But it does say something that they're playing their worst. Turn into Ben Simmons right now. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 very much the it's just like the law of diminishing returns. If Westbrook's going to get his, then Harden's not going to get his, and if Harden's going to get his, then Westbrook's not going to get his. And like the manner in which they play, I I would just rather have three role players that fit well within the scheme than one of those guys. I. We all know what the answer is. They're not going to do it because they have to see what these two guys do in the playoffs together. But I think we all, I mean, we all know what the answer is. Should here. they be buyers at the deadline then? Like, like, the answer is yes. But should they, they, like, they have to make a move to make it, to make a push I think they have to make a move. Right. But I don't think that they think that they have to make a move. Yeah, I think I, that they would point at this as a bad two-week stretch. We'll figure it out. And I don't know. Yeah, I think with Harden playing his worst basketball of the season right now, efficiency-wise, I think kind of like Micah just said, they're just going to chalk it up as, oh, well, when Harden gets it going, if Westbrook's playing like this, we'll be fine. I don't I don't know if the Rockets – I mean, you can never count on Daryl Morey to make a move, but I don't know if they're making a move. I think they might think they have what it takes. They're so, they're so tough to really gauge how good and how or how bad they are because they just – rely so much on three and nothing else that they could get hot so, and shoot 60% for a week and then get cold, shoot 20%, and there's the worst. Without, without, going, without going completely down this rabbit hole because it's a different conversation we for got a different time. time. We got time. Okay. Well, I, I think one of the biggest fixes to, to the NBA playoffs should be six teams should make it in each conference instead of eight because right. then there'd be – a remarkable degree of desperation in both Houston and in Philly right now. Mm-hmm. And it would make it infinitely more entertaining. There's no one in their right minds looks at what's going on in Houston and sees like, well, there's still seven games up on nine in the West. They're going to make the playoffs. No matter how bad they play for a month long stretch, they don't have to do anything. They could sit on their hands. Same thing in, in Philly, regardless of what's going to go on with the injuries to Embiid and how well will Simmons play all this and that. Imagine if only six teams made the playoffs and Houston right now would be six in and only uh, two games up on an OKC team that just beat them twice, mm-hmm. right? There'd be a little bit more panic and then maybe you'd see a little bit more desperation and maybe Daryl Morey would make a trade, but that's not going to happen because it's too easy to make the playoffs when over half the teams in the league make the playoffs. What, what's the incentive to do anything crazy if you're a team that could just get by on talent? Counter-argument that, to that is, though, is if you reduce the amount of teams that do make the playoffs, so many more teams are just shutting it down. Like, so many so are. many more teams are just saying, all right, we, we can't make the top six. It's tough enough for them to make the top eight. They can't make the top six. They're like, all right, uh, we'll see you in five years when we can yeah. bag on garbages and, yeah. and, and, and tell and everybody that, that we're that Sacramento drought might not ever end if they go to six instead of eight. But. And on top of that, I don't think the NBA is willing to have LeBron James and Anthony Davis sit out a seven-game series with a first-round bye. True. <laughs> that's fair. Just that's a, true. Yeah, I guess that's an idea that will never happen. But I understand. I understand where you're coming from, though. I did hear on the uh, on the ESPN podcast that they, the the idea to have the play-in tournament. Yeah, that's like a great. Towards, that was a good that, one. I like that. Yeah, I, that I would be. Uh, I'd be excited about that. Uh, Luca and Kawhi. Speaking of things we're going to be excited about, Kawhi gave Luca hell the last the last time they played. Uh, Doncic, I mean, still one of the most 
advanced offensive players in the NBA, like creatively. Um, he, he's just he's just one of those guys that he can see what the defense is giving him, compute, and the next time he comes out, you just expect him to have a better game. Uh, so the like, sorry, Mavs and Clippers will will play this week, um, and the Clippers, on the other hand. Over the weekend again, some infighting in the locker room and, and quotes that came out that you know are salacious now. And I was on this very podcast a couple of episodes ago saying I think that the Clippers need to make a trade just to shake up the locker room. Uh, I don't think that they will. Just saying that I think that they should. Uh, is this game more important for the Dallas Mavericks or the LA Clippers? Mavericks being this is kind of a, a litmus test game for them to see where they're at. Clippers, meaning they should just beat a team that everyone thinks is an up-and-coming team in the Western Conference. I think it means more to the Clippers, just because it's the only game that's on tonight. 28 teams played yesterday. These are the only mm. two teams that didn't play Spotlight yesterday. Time. Spotlight time. Um, Kawhi's missed one of the biggest, like, best stretches of his career scoring-wise. He's been absolutely incredible over the last five, six games. Um, and I just think that even if Doncic were to have a stinker, it doesn't take away from what he's doing this season. No one's going to be like, oh, yeah, Luka Doncic is having an MVP caliber season, but he got shut down by Kawhi Leonard twice. <laughs> I mean, he's one of the best perimeter defenders right. we've ever seen. I, 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 it means a lot more to the Clippers to me. Doncic could have the worst game of his career, and you know, it just means more that the Clippers pick up a big win because it seems like even though you know people are nitpicking with the Clippers because they still have one of the best records in the league, it just means a lot to them right now to pick I'm up wait, key I'm wins waiting, like this. I'm waiting for Micah to join us here on uh, Get Off the Clippers Island. No, I'm island. never getting off the Clippers I know, Island. I, know. I, I think this is a bigger game for the Mavericks, baby. All right. Uh, for a while there, it was a five-horse race, right, between uh, second and sixth in the, in, in the West. And you've seen we, had, we just talked about Houston sort of falling off a little bit. Dallas has won four in a row, but they're still two and a half back of that uh, sort of that three-way log jam right now between Denver, Utah, and the Clippers. Right. I think Dallas is is in a, in a little bit danger of sort of falling out of that race for second uh, because you know fourth and fifth is is a big deal. So I I think it's bigger for Dallas. It's probably bigger for the Clippers in terms of like the overarching grand scheme of things. Like it matters more to the NBA and the season as a whole if the Clippers can stay out of that 4-5 line because then them and the Lakers wouldn't play in the second round and yada, yada, yada. But I, I, but I think right now it means more for the, for the Mavericks. Are you, would, you, would you be opposed to the Lakers playing them in the second round? Like I'm actually, I'm actually looking forward to that. I want I, that in the conference finals. I don't care. I want it. I, I, want think those are, I think those are by far the two best teams in the West. Yeah. And like, I feel like we would get a little bit robbed. It, it's sort of, like, sort of like Golden State and Houston right. last year. Where it's like that's the those are the teams people want to see in the conference final and like I don't know I I would rather I would just rather see them play each other later. But what's the difference of them playing in the conference finals versus the semifinals? Like because you're still getting the better team winning at the end of the, like Golden State Houston last year. Yeah, they played in the second round, but you know once Golden State got past them, they still got. It's not like they got tripped up by. Portland, like no, they're but, still the best team. But they led. They they trailed by like fifteen and three of those games. Like if KD gets hurt a little bit, or, like it's not out of the realm. I know they got swept, so it's a ridiculous thing to say. Portland <laughs> just, won that's series. exactly what I was just about but to say. But like a couple things go different, and like you weirdly have this like Portland Toronto NBA Finals. Nobody wants that. Yeah, Toronto fans. 
Right. I, if you're not a fan of the Raptors <laughs> and the Blazers, that's awful. Well, no one wants that if you're the Golden State Warriors. So, if, fan, so you know, if, if you're not, you know, if the Lakers and Clippers are battling out for a tough seven game series, and then LeBron tweaks the knee, and then they got to play the the Denver Nuggets, and then all of a sudden the Nuggets are in the I don't know. Give me Clippers, Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I agree with that. I think like if you were to have Luka versus LeBron in the second round, like that just screams great second round playoff matchup. Yeah, you could see Luka Doncic versus LeBron, but I still want to see LeBron and Kawhi. I want to see Le- AD and Paul George. I want to see Which those still two teams see. in the Conference Finals. No, it's like when no, but the, I want to see. Yeah, I want to see. It's like when like Duke and Kentucky play in the Elite Eight. In it's the awesome, NCAA isn't tournament. it? No, but you're like. It's great, but like we'd rather see it in the final four. Oh, right. I, I don't care when we get it. I just want to get it. Um, Zion's coming back. Yeah, he is, baby. He has a date. It's set. Uh, it's going to be nationally televised in the United States. Uh, most people around the world will see it on their local cable there or on NBA League Pass. Um, I'm excited. This is this. I'm I'm going to be locked in from minute. Like I'm going to be. On the channel 15 minutes before, I'm going to have my bag of chips next to me. I'm going to have my pop. You're a big bag well, of I'm, chips guy. I am. I Watching love. Kendrick Perkins rattle off takes. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> um, you know, but, but regular chips. I don't like like any flavor. I'm a, I'm a regular potato chip guy. I didn't, name, I didn't name the sponsor because we got to save that space for someone who's going to actually pay for it. Uh, but Zion is coming back. I'm going to be ready for it. I'm going to have my snacks. What are you guys doing? What's what's this is? I'm treating my bills are out. My, I'm treating Zion's <laughs> game as like my Super Bowl. No, I'm with you on that. I'm going to be locked in from minute one. I just yeah. want to see everything that this Pelicans team could have been to start the season with all this, the preseason hype surrounding it. And I honestly think that Zion, I, yeah, he's they say he's going to be under a minutes restriction and stuff like that. And I do think they're going to be pretty loyal to that. But I wouldn't be surprised if he gets it going pretty early against this against this uh, San Antonio Spurs team. I, I look forward to – you said it perfectly. Like even if he plays 19 minutes – I think that Zion is going to have this uh, contagious, infectious uh, impact on everyone else around him. And the amount of energy that's going to be in that building when he's got it going. And and again, like even if it's he he scores 13 points in 19 minutes, I still think even like the the 29 minutes he's not on the floor, everyone else is going to be engaged that much more. I, I think he, from day one, will be one of the five most electric players in the entire league. I, agree. I cannot wait to see Zion dominate. Dominate. He was unstoppable in the preseason. Right. People I I I honestly think people are underselling how ridiculous he was and sort of playing the yeah, but it was preseason card. Like, yeah, but Rudy Gobert was trying hard mm-hmm. and it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And Zion just went at Rudy Gobert. Yeah, yeah. It, in a preseason, a, this guy, this kid is going to be dominant. You saw him live, like you saw him live in yeah. college in a meaningful game. How much better do you think he got over that time? Because that was like six months before the preseason, right? It was in, it was March of last year, uh, ACC tournament here in Charlotte, and then you see him do what he does in the preseason. What, what were you thinking? He just played. He just plays so hard. Like I, I like the athletic ability. And the sheer size and physicality is is really obvious, but just like just the effort, mm. like he 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 just jumps for every rebound. You can't; it's impossible to box him out. He's got a motor that does not stop. the The craziest thing to me are not necessarily the the, the dunks and the finishes that he gets. It's the volume of times that even when so they you cross half court, you look at Zion; he doesn't have the ball. He's looking at the at the point guard 
pointing up at the rim saying, throw it up, let me go get it. And he probably does that 15 times a game that he doesn't get the ball. Right. So, like, he just – he always wants to dunk everything and embarrass everybody. He plays so hard. Uh, I could not be more excited uh, for Zion just because of the motor and the intensity with which he plays. New, New Orleans, there's a reason that they were on – Scheduled to be on national TV as much as they were, and I know that we just got robbed of you know half, half the that, season yeah. of that. Oh man, I it's, got robbed it's three times out. this year. It's or, uh, I missed Zion three times this year. I've watched Pelicans basketball with Zion <laughs> live three times. I'll never forgive him for that. Um, but the one thing that I, I impressed me about Zion in the in the preseason, and I'm excited to watch when he finally makes his debut, is the fact that he wasn't afraid from day one. Like. Summer League, he had an incredible, whatever, 15 minutes that was. But he was playing against peers, guys that he'd been playing against in, in his one season at Duke and also in high school the year before that. So you, I didn't expect him to be afraid of those guys. But like Micah said, he was going at guys like Rudy Gobert, who is, you know, uh, who should be a perennial all-star, who's, who's not because he plays defense. Um, but a defensive player of the year, that type of guy. And he wasn't afraid of the moment. Um, the last game he played, I think it was against the Bulls, if I'm not mistaken. In that game, he was terrific, and he was really going against the Bulls. I'm, I'm excited to see it against the, the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, he's he's going to have that one, maybe two, maybe three just insane highlight plays that lights up Instagram, Twitter, everything, and you know that's coming. Uh, ripple effect of Zion's return. I'm excited to watch him make Lonzo Ball the best version of Lonzo Ball because I mm-hmm. think him and Lonzo Ball are going to be like a dream pairing in transition, kind of like Micah was just saying. Um, but do you guys think that the Pelicans come away with a win tomorrow night? Yeah, uh, yes, I do. Yeah, I yeah. Do. I, I think do. I think last night they had a Drew Holiday came back. He dropped I think thirty six points. That was a I think to me that was a statement win against the Grizzlies because that's the team they're going to be chasing for that eight seed in mm-hmm. the West. Uh, but there is part of me that thinks that. I mean, I know you can't really game plan for a player that you haven't seen too, too much, but what if what if Greg Popovich is just out here throwing gadgets and random defenses <laughs> at him and all of a sudden Zion that has would be a tough the night? Old, that would be the ultimate sign of respect. It would. For for maybe the greatest coach in NBA history, all of a sudden for your, for your debut, you're on a minutes restriction, and he's sitting out there throwing <laughs> junk defenses at you. If that's not a sign that Zion Williamson is going to be a immediate top Five guy in the league. Yeah, I said it. I don't know what else is. If Greg Popovich goes out of his way to create junk defenses for Zion Williamson in game one of his NBA career. On on a restriction. Put him in the Hall of Fame (laughs) right away. It's never happened before. Right away. After one game, put him in the Hall of Fame. That's what I got to say about that. Three and a half games are the Pelicans out of the playoff race right now. Battle for eighth in the Western Conference is heating up. The Grizzlies hold it down. Uh, three games under 500. That's that's weird to see it's in the Western Conference. This is a Western Conference, right? Yeah, Western. Yeah. Uh, Spurs, Trailblazers, Suns, who people stopped talking about for a little while, quietly in the mix. Uh, I can even go as far down as the, the Kings and Timberwolves who could get hot and jump into the conversation. So there's a lot of teams battling for one spot. Who gets it? It's got to be the Spurs, right? It's, it has to be the Spurs. I think it does. Are you asking or telling us? I'm. I'm. I'm it's a little bit of both. Okay. It's, it just seems like they just somehow stumble their way into the play. And I. I feel the same way about Portland. I feel like they've just stumbled their way into the playoffs the past couple of years. But I don't know. I. I just feel like the Spurs. DeRozan's playing well right now. Lamarcus Aldridge is playing well right now. I just feel like that they're gonna win like 
whether it's two out of every four games that they play over the next 41 games or however many games they have left the second half of the season, and that's going to be good enough to get them into the playoffs. 22 consecutive playoff appearances. That's the longest in major sports in the uh, North America. They're looking for 23, which would be an NBA record. I have not come off the Pelicans the entire season. I had them as a lock to make the playoffs entering the year before we knew that Zion would, would miss time. I'm not coming off that. Okay. They have that we is I sort of alluded this to when we were having the conversation about why I, I was picking Miami to finish second in the East is because of the schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pelicans, I mean, they have by far the easiest remaining schedule of any team in the Western Conference. They already have, uh, you know, no tiebreakers are are locked up, but they are ahead in the tiebreaker against every single team. Uh, that they're in the in the mix for along with this eight seed, and I I just think I I think Zion's return is going to galvanize this entire bunch. And shout out to my, my fellow Dukey JJ Redick. Okay, he never misses the playoffs. It's true, he's not missing it. He's yeah. not one time in his career missed the playoffs. He's gonna make it fourteen for fourteen. Uh, and then you know as I said last week, Pelicans Lakers game one in Staples Center. I'm when Zion it. when Zion flushes it in LeBron's face like Jalen Brown did, <laughs> yeah. uh, LeBron's gonna wish that that was uh, that it felt like Jalen Brown because it's gonna feel a lot worse when Zion does it. You ready for on brand Carlin right now? Here we go. I can't remember what I said the last time. We, you gonna uh, pick five different teams to win? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I can't remember what I said the last time we did this, which was just a couple of days ago. So I'm going with the Trailblazers. Okay. You definitely did not say the Trailblazers. I definitely last didn't time. say the Trailblazers last time, so I'm going with them now. Because that's the most on brand thing. Any reason, to do. or just more on brand? Just zero, zero, zero. You saw Dame sixty point. I saw him play most recently. I have no reason to, to to deny it. And they're getting Nurkic back eventually, so you know, they'll be all right. I, I really feel. I really feel. I'll joke aside though. I really feel like Portland's going to make a trade. I do feel that. Uh, out of all the teams that are in that mix. To, to try and make that eighth seed. They're the most likely to make a trade. I know there's rumors around Aldridge and DeMar going elsewhere. I don't think Popovich is going to blow it up right now, given those teams half a game out of that eighth seed. Um, and I think Portland needs to swing for the fences, and they have the pieces to do that. To do you think, do you think Portland is going to trade for the most dominant inside scorer in the entire league and give up nothing to do it? Because that's what New Orleans is doing, getting <laughs> Zion back. That's fair. He's not the most True. dominant entirely. Don't do that. Trade. Most dominant inside scorer okay, dominant entirely. Right. Yes, he is. That's fine. We, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, unless Popovich throws a junk defense. Out of <laughs> trading uh, trading for Trevor Reza wasn't enough for you? No, it wasn't. It didn't move the needle. Did they even trade for Trevor Reza? Yeah. Yeah, did yeah. people even know about that? Was that a – did Woj bomb that? Come on, knock it off. You got to get Twitter back on your phone. <laughs> I, I, I knew about it only because I go to ca.nba.com, which everyone listening to this should go to. Shout outs. Who do you got? Uh, I'm giving my shout out to Kemba Walker. Nobody beats that man 29 times in a row. Yeah, that's right. That's I, what he that's, needed, right? <laughs> that's yeah. actually my shout out too. One in 28 against LeBron James, <laughs> but a secondary shout out. I want to give a shout out to Jason Tatum because when Jason Tatum dunked on LeBron in that playoff series, in my mind, I, I immediately erased everything that happened before that and thought that Jason Tatum went toe to toe with LeBron James off of that one play. In his career, I mean, he's he's averaging in the regular season 15 points, 6 assists against LeBron. LeBron's averaging a triple-double against I mean, Jason Tatum. Le- LeBron's, <laughs> his yeah. best game against uh, LeBron James, we're talking about Jason Tatum, of course, actually came just uh, Monday against uh, on MLK Day in the win. 
27 big points. That yeah. was his best ever game against LeBron James. So uh, in the regular season, that is. So um, shout out to Jason Tatum for, uh, for for finally living up to the hype. Yeah, you you alluded. My my shout out is uh, a team that you briefly mentioned mentioned uh, the Phoenix Suns, seven and five over the last twelve. They had an eight game losing streak uh, that happened in, in December. That kind of took them took them out of the mix, and I think people started to write off Phoenix. I've been very hard on Devin Booker and Phoenix uh, for <laughs> pretty much wherever. Don't double team me. Uh, but they're they're seven and five. They are right in the mix in that eight seed uh, conversation. We we should not ignore Devin Booker. Yeah. Devin Booker's been balling. He's averaging like thirty three points. Per, I just saw thirty three points per game in January, most in the league. <laughs> Kyle Irving, Mike Adams, Carlin Gay. You've been listening to NBA Sound System. Thanks for doing it.